Welcome to the Stuttering Mind podcast. I'm Rama Siva, author and speech coach, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on stuttering and stammering. You can find the episode show notes, your free seven-step guide to expressing yourself and lots more information at stutteringmind.com. Let's get started. This is episode number eight. In today's episode, we have Yinka Dolan, a civil servant who lives in the UK. Yinka has stammered since childhood, around the age of 11, but has greatly reduced her own fears of stammering through research on the internet, various training courses, and self-help books. As a consequence, Yinka has reached a good deal of fluency. Yinka believes wholeheartedly that reducing fears associated with stammering and making changes to how you look at stammering from your beliefs, intentions, and your perceptions is a key to improved fluency. I'm honored to have Yinka Dolan with me on Stuttering Mind. Welcome, Yinka. Welcome. How are you, Rama? I'm great. Thank you for joining me on this early morning. You're very welcome. What is your earliest memory of stuttering or trying to get your words out? For me, it was when I was in high school, really. Um, I was okay at primary school, but joining a big school, I was a bit overwhelmed by it all and a bit um, frightened. And I noticed that when I was being asked to read in class, um, I started to develop a bit of a fear about it, Mm. which got worse. Um, But I did notice in certain classes like um, RE, which was religious uh, studies you know religious education I was fine because the teacher was very um, nice very understanding and made me feel at ease so I could always read in RE but in other classes I would block and I would get very nervous and I wouldn't be able to say a word I didn't stammer per se I just couldn't get any word out and that for me was, it was just pretty embarrassing. Um, and I think it started off really um, as a child, I was always very excitable and I was always very keen to speak. But I used to speak quite quickly because I was always really excitable. Mm. Um, and my foster father who was great at the time but he always used to tell me to slow down I was speaking too quickly so I think inadvertently without him realizing I, I, um, I started to sort of look at my speech and, and, and try to slow it down and I think I was restricting the natural flow of speech because I was always looking at my speech um, and that's how it started for me and it just ended up um, stammering mm. and as I say I didn't some children start at four or five I was later on I, I was properly stammering and blocking around about the age of 11 so I think the combination I've been asked to slow my speech down and not speak quickly all the time and then having to go to a high school was where it all started for me mm. wow that's quite amazing that you were aware enough to realize that in RE you were able to speak and read out aloud 
and yet in the other classes you were building fears and you couldn't actually read out aloud that's really amazing insights yeah. and you were yeah. 11 years of age right yeah and that was just because i had a really nice re teacher he was really understanding and was always saying it's okay take your time um and just made me feel not stammering wasn't a bad thing to him but mm -hmm. other teachers it was like oh you know oh she's not going to be able to speak and i think it makes the fear even worse but if you've got someone on your side that's understanding um for me at that age there was no fear then in re i was always relaxed in re and i love the subject so much i, I like the teacher so well so i always arrived in re but in other subjects like english you know when i have to read out in english the teacher wasn't as as understanding so i didn't actually speak as well unfortunately mm -hmm. and does anyone else in your family stutter no um i was adopted actually um so um i didn't really meet my real family they were all from africa until i was uh, probably about 18, 19. No, I tell a lie, actually. I went over to Nigeria when I was about 13, mm -hmm. um, you know, to meet me family. Um, it's a long story, but just to cut it short, my family mm -hmm. were over in the 60s, my parents, and they were studying. I was born here, mm -hmm. but then I didn't actually go back because mm -hmm. there was a war in Nigeria at the time. So it was deemed that I would stay here temporarily until the war was over and then I would go and rejoin my parents but it didn't happen mm. um, I was with a foster family who were brilliant and I loved to England and I wanted to stay in England and I ended up doing that mm. um, so yes yeah, so none of my family stammer um, as I say I just think I, I, I think I'd sort of built up a fear about speaking. Hmm. That's great. And uh, do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a brother here now, actually. Um, he came over from Nigeria about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, um, he lives in Manchester. So I don't see him as much as I'd like, but he speaks um, English and he speaks um just trying to think of the language now um you know but it's an african mm -hmm. language so he, he speaks the two really well and english as well really well okay great but he, uh, he doesn't obviously stammer mm -hmm. did you know anyone else who started while growing up no nobody uh, and that was um a tough thing i felt as if I was the only person that did stammer and actually I was, I didn't know anybody. And it was only when um, I joined the BSA in my thirties mm. and then I started to research stammering that I found actually I wasn't the only one that stammered. Other mm. people stammered. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite an eye opener really because I didn't know anybody at all that stammered. Um, so yeah it, it you know it was it wasn't good because you think there's something wrong with you you're the only person that does it i don't know anyone else that does it it's, it's tough 
Mm-hmm. And uh, when did you start speech therapy? Again, I was in my late 30s. Um, I've gone through life being a bit of a covert stammerer. So mm. I hit it really well, but it's not good to hide something like that. It's pretty stressful. Switching words, um, trying to avoid saying um, my name and my address, which I used to get stuck on a lot. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I didn't sort of seek speech therapy until I was in my 30s. And I think it was because I had a daughter by then, Tanya, about three or four, and she started speaking. And I thought, I need to improve and not stammer because I didn't want to pass it on to her, really. I didn't want her to see me stammering and then to start to somehow mimic it as well yes yes. that makes sense you know to me i don't think you can i don't think children can sort of um have your stammer you know i think it's passed on because they see you stammering and then they can start to almost mimic stammering i think you know i don't think it's a genetic thing because mm-hmm. my children don't stammer and that's because I've been very careful not to stammer around them and that's mm-hmm. why I had to look into my speech and improve it yes yes and how was your personality did the stuttering affect you in any way while as a teenager young adult yeah I think it affected me in my first job uh, I was um, 18 at the time. I'd been mm-hmm. to college for a couple of years after leaving school and I decided that I couldn't be a nurse as I, I thought I would try to be because there was too much speaking involved. So I would try and do a job in an office where I didn't think there'd be as much speaking involved. But mm. You know, over the years, I do quite a lot of speaking in, in the jobs that I've had, especially the job that I've got now. Mm. But at the time, I just felt it was a safer option. Um, so at the age of 18, I got my first job. Um, I was a YTS scheme in those days. That's what it was called. So it was a youth training scheme. And I think I got paid a princely sum of £25 a week at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did well on the interview I spoke to the director had a second interview it was really well but it was only when I started to try and use phones that they Mm. realized I had a problem where I would stammer or or block I couldn't get my words out and then I was asked to leave um, a couple of months later so that was quite upsetting at the time and then after that I just decided to temp for about four years, I took a, quite a lot of temporary posts just to get experience of the workplace, really. And from them, I've done okay, really. Um, I've worked for 35 years nearly now. Nice. Uh, and for 22 of those years, I've been a civil servant. Actually, more, actually, because I've worked for British nuclear fuels. That was civil service. So probably about 30 years, actually, in total. Great. Yeah, so I've, I've done okay. Hmm. And how was your speech with your family members and close school friends? Did you have friends at school? 
Um, yeah, in fact, I still see my school friends now. I was out with them only a couple of weeks ago in Liverpool, and I was lucky. I wasn't teased, as um, I've heard some horror stories. My friends were really kind and were protective of me and was trying to reassure me that I was okay. So I was lucky in that respect. Yeah. You know, um, and I still got the same group of friends as I had back when I was in primary school, in high school. I still see those girls today, you know, and some of the boys as well still see. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky in that respect. That's great. And um, what were your feelings, thoughts about speech therapy when you started it in, in your 30s? Um, speech therapy here in Warrington, which I had at the hospital, it wasn't so good. It was more, um, you know, the lady would speak to me every week and we would just have what I would call nice sort of um, talks really about my week and what I'd been doing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really speech therapy per se. It was just trying to speak to me about my feelings. And I realised it wasn't working. I wasn't improving and I had to speak out. Mm -hmm. another speech therapist which I did mm -hmm. and I sought the help of a lady called Louise Wright mm -hmm. and she was a speech therapist at Manchester University mm -hmm. and um, she was a lecturer so I had the best um, she used to teach the speech and language students um, so I was learning from someone who was really good and that's when I really started to learn and we started to sort of look at stammering and break down how I felt about stammering, how my friends felt about stammering, you know, um, and my family. Um, and I just started to ask them um, how they felt um, and they didn't see it as a problem. They said, yes, they'd heard me stammering and blocking, but it wasn't very often. It wasn't anything that I should be worried about. And from then on, I, um, it was a good realisation that it, it isn't something to be ashamed about. You know, my family and my friends weren't all that particularly uh, ashamed about it or, you know... Um, I don't think they were concerned about it at all. So mm. I realised, you know, that, you know, if they're not concerned, I shouldn't be concerned about it. Um, and from then on, I started going on courses. I started reading a lot about it on the internet because there's so much information out there. And slowly trying to change my mindset. I mean, I went on a lot of training courses over the years but I think you've got to change how you see yourself as a stammerer. Mm, I think exactly. if you don't, you still become, or you still are a stammerer. If you don't try and change, you know, your beliefs and, and, and your intentions. Um, yeah. And you've got to work on your speech every single day. And that is what I try and do. Yes. Um, yeah. I try and improve. I try and push out my comfort zones. I make a lot of phone calls instead of emails. And it's like anything really, it's practice makes perfect. And that's how I see stammering. Um, 
you know, it's like trying to learn how to play the guitar. If you don't put the, if you don't put the practice in, if you don't try to um, teach yourself how to become a big speak, uh, sorry, how to become a better speaker, then you're never going to improve. And that's not just about stammering, it's anything in life. Indeed, indeed. Like many people who stutter, saying my name, what's the challenge? You mentioned that saying your name and address was a challenge. What other words, sounds or situations did you have that really made you so nervous that you would avoid them? Uh, I think saying plosives mm -hmm. is hard. I had to learn to sort of try and say plosives with a soft contact. So plosives is any words that have like your, your M's, your P's. Yeah. They're harder to say as well. Mm. Um, and it's just trying to sort of practice saying those words and I used to do it with like a sometimes a slow slide or an easy onset um, I think really you know the minute you try and force anything um, it just blocks you know to me and you, know, you can't say that particular word but anything like mother um, baker um, W's even, you know, I remember finding the house once in Wilkinson Street, which is just around the corner from where I now live, mm -hmm. and thinking, hmm, I might struggle having to say that address. So I live on Terence Avenue, which is a lot easier to say. Mm -hmm. And that's just how much, it, it, you know, stamina can affect your life. You know, th these are the choices that you make. And this was a long time ago. Uh, I've lived here now 13 years. Um, you know, and I'm thinking of moving in a, in a couple of years, two or three years. And it's still on my mind as to which street I, I prefer to live in because it's easy to say and not quite ridiculous. But that's how a person who stammers feels. You know, that's how it, it affects your life, even to the choices of where you live. Um, if a word is easier to say or not, because you have to say your name and address so many times, so many people, you know, your doctors, if you're going to pick up a, a prescription at the chemist, you always um, need you to clarify your address as well, you know, before they give you the prescription. So if, you, if you've got an address which you find harder to say, mm. it's just true to me and it's, and you shouldn't feel like that because um, you can say plosives and you can say your M's and your P's and your W's. It's just when you start overthinking it and, and the fear starts creeping in. So I tell myself I can say plosives. I've, done, I've, I've said them hundreds of times and not to think about how I used to be able not to say them. And that's past, and I'm not in that place. Words. Do you see what I mean? You know, I can say my name and address. I've, I've said it many, many times, but occasionally the fear does creep in, but you have to just not really ignore that, but just say, okay, it's come that fear, but I'm not going to try to dwell on that fear 
because I know that I'm okay to say these words. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, you can't stop the thoughts. You know, it's it's like um, it, it, how can I put it? It's like trying to do mediation, um, not mediation, meditation. And you get all these thoughts and they're coming in your mind all the time. And you just have to try to say to yourself, yes, the thoughts are coming in my mind, but you don't need to act on them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just them. Do you see what I mean? And that's what I try and do when I occasionally do still have those thoughts coming into my head. Uh, you know, I think, oh yeah, that thought's arrived. It's, it's no big deal. I'm just going to ignore it and carry on. Amazing. Well done. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Did you ever feel depressed or down during, due to the stuttering? And what did you do to pick yourself up? Um, many times I was, I wouldn't say depressed because I'm not a depressive sort of person really. I don't get depressed um, at all really. But yeah, I used to get down about it but it's only a temporary situation isn't it really when you're feeling down it's like when you're feeling happy you have to try to make you know the most of it because I sort of believe that you experience all these emotions in life so you're going to be sad you're going to be happy you're going to be glad you're going to be excited you know it's part of life so if there was times when my stammering made me feel really down, I would quickly try to pick myself up from it, really, and try to push on with life. Um, and that's what I've always done. Great. Do you find it easier to speak with other people to stutter, or did you when you were obviously struggling with it? Um, yeah, I do find it easier speaking to people who stammer because I think they understand um, 100% how you feel. Um, they're just so, I, I don't know, I think there's a um, sympathetic nature there, there's empathy there. So, you know, there's never any um, fears at all. And that's one of the reasons that I started the support group was to be able to discuss stammering with people who also stammered because I felt that they would understand. Mm-hmm. So if there was times when I was going through bad speaking blocks, as I used to call them, I would be able to discuss it with people who also had... Um, stammering issues, blocks. And, I, um, it, and it was just a way, really, of sharing experiences with people who truly understood how you felt. And that's a really good thing. Hmm. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with their speech? Oh. Uh, well... As you know, I run the support group, so I give advice every month and I give lots of training sessions um, on 
one of the main advice I'd give is not to give up and to keep trying. Um, just to keep doing the things that you, you know, you need to do really. First of all, um, I'd say, try, um, I'm just trying to think of the key things really that I say to the group all the time. And it's mainly, you know, to practice speaking um, either by phone um, or to your friends and family. Um, I was once talking to somebody who joined the group six months or so ago now, mm -hmm. and he, he, he basically said to overcome his, his, his stammer, he just stopped speaking. He doesn't speak to people. Mm -hmm. I just was aghast. I thought that, and I did actually say to him, that is not the way to overcome a stammer. You have to do the opposite. You have to put yourself out there. You have to push through the fears and you have to practice speaking on a daily basis. And you start off with um, some situations that are quite easy and then you work up to the ones that you find really difficult. So the easy ones could be um, talking to your family, um, just saying about stammering like I first did, is stammering a problem to you? Isn't it embarrassment to you? Do you find that I stammer a lot? Mm. And then talking to other people about stammering, strangers in the street, you mm. know, asking for the time, speaking to them about the weather, um, try and pretend that you're lost and you need some um, some directions to get somewhere. Mm. So, for example, when you have done that yourself, how, I'm, when you've done that yourself, Yinka, how has that made you feel in terms of your speech and yourself as a human being? I think it makes you feel really, really good. And I think it makes you feel, you know, that you're achieving something, especially when you ask somebody, um, you know, directions, a stranger, and you do it, and you may have a little block or you may have a stammer, but you've done it. And every little step that you take like that is a, I think it's a punch in the air moment. Mm. And it just gives you a lot of, um, you know, belief, and it gives you a lot of confidence. Yes. And the more you believe and the more your confidence will grow. And the fluency yeah. will, will just improve on a daily basis, but you have to do it on a daily basis. Um, and that's where people fall down, really. You know, they'll do it for a week or two and then they'll slip back to their old ways and then they'll start um, to um, stop to do things that they should be doing. You know, they'll email instead of phoning someone. And you can't really, you've got to do the same thing all the time. And that is practice, practice, practice. You know, the minute you avoid, you're just really trying to confirm to your brain that you can't do that particular job. And it could be anything. 
you know, it doesn't need to be stammering, but if you're saying to your brain, oh, well, actually, um, I don't think I can say a certain word, I don't think I can do this or I can do that, then you're reconfirming to your brain that that's what you, you are, you know, and your brain only believes your thoughts. So if you tell it, well, actually, I can do that, I've done it before, and I'll do it again and again, your brain starts to believe it. I have such problems saying my name because it's not, um, you know, it's an unusual name. It's Nigerian, it's Yinka. So I would say Yinka to people, and many times I'd go, who? Inka, Ninka, Linka. So I would always have to say it again. And then sometimes I'd stammer on the second time I said it. And then I just started to say it all the time. And the more I said it, the easier it felt. And then I, I thought, actually, it's not a problem now to say my name. I can do it easier. And it's the same with my address. I've said it so many times that I don't find that is a problem anymore. You know, my brain isn't expecting to stammer anymore on my name and address because I've, I've practiced it and I've said it so many times. Amazing, amazing. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to practice and you've got to do it as much as you can. Yes, yes. You just uh, said something very important. Your brain doesn't expect you to stammer anymore. Exactly. And at the age of, and at the age of 11, you were expecting to stammer. That's exactly. why you stammered. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And now, you know, um, 90% of the speech situations I have, be it a conversation on the phone or in person, I'd say 95% now I don't stammer anymore. You know, I'd still hesitate, but I think I'm just um, a sort of person that does hesitate because I'm trying to think of the next word. It's not because I'm stammering. I'm just trying to string the conversation together. Mm. But you know, I'd say 95% of the time now I don't stammer anymore. Uh, it's only occasionally and when I do it's not a big deal anymore it's not a shameful thing it's just one of them oh well I was tired um oh well so what it doesn't matter anyway um exactly that is what people need to it doesn't matter mm. it doesn't matter because people don't hear everything you say anyway you know people only hear 70% of what you're saying anyway because sometimes their mind wanders and they start thinking about the shopping or what they're having for tea so you know a lot of the times you don't actually hear what you're saying fully anyway yes yes thank you thank you what about stuttering and dating did it ever stop you from talking to a guy did you have any negative experiences with guys due to the stuttering no, I don't think I ever stammered when I was on first dates because I was always, I always chose a sort of person that I liked and that I felt at ease with. I wouldn't date anybody that I didn't feel comfortable with. So it was only when they started to get to know me, which would take sort of a year, sometimes longer, that the stammering might start to show a little bit more. Um, I was that. Um, I suppose I was that at ease with them after a year or so of dating it would start to come out mm. but um, 
and it, I don't think it would be a shock to them because I would always say after um, seeing someone a couple of months or whatever, oh, well, I have got a stammer, but it's it's not a big um, deal anymore. Um, probably in my early 20s, it was more of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would tell them straight away. But after a couple of months, if I felt that it was going to go somewhere, then I would say, well, actually, yeah, I do stammer. And it was never an issue because I, I, I didn't really stammer too much in my relationships because I was always comfortable. It, it was like the 11-year-old who was in the RE class. Mm. If I had someone that I was dating that was understanding and made me feel okay, then I was relaxed and my speech was always okay. Do you see what I mean? It was like that teacher that I had. You know, yeah. if they made me feel okay about myself and comfortable and relaxed, then I wouldn't stammer. Marvellous, great. Tell me about your support group that you run. When did you start it and how many regular members? I started it in 2007 and there was only one or two that came to the first meeting. I advertised it in the local paper in the Guardian at the time, the Warrington Guardian. Mm-hmm. And now it's grown to we get we've got about sixty members with about eight to ten that come every month. So we usually have a yeah, usually between sometimes it's eight people every month, sometimes it's ten, sometimes it's fourteen. It just depends really, you know, because as you know yourself, we're all busy. We're all trying to get things done and we work and, and that. So, so yeah, I started the support group in 2007. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do to keep it going. You know, you always have to be thinking about who you can invite, what training you can give, because it's not just about having a group of people in a room and just talking about stammering you have to talk about how you're going to deal with stammering yourself what you're going to do every month to try and improve your speech mm-hmm. which is difficult for people because if it's not a quick fix um not everybody will work on the speech to the same speed and rate as others seem to me i think everybody who comes to my group has improved um, and most people have been coming at least five or six years. Some people have been coming 10 years. And there's one lady who's been coming since it first started, Joan, um, who's actually quite poorly at the moment. So we've not seen her for the last three months or so. But she had been attending the group from the very start. Um so yeah, so it's always about improving the group. It's always about over the last 10 years, I've been getting funding from various places um, and that has helped to send people on courses. It's helped to bring people in to do like a telephone skills course as well. We have the City Lit ladies, the speech and language therapists. There was two that came down two years ago and they did a brilliant course. And it's always trying to find things for them to do to motivate themselves which is difficult because we have um meetings now every month except for christmas mm-hmm. um so it's hard to think about you know the next 
meeting and how to inspire people, how to keep them um, motivated, really, you know, to help themselves. Yes, yes, great. And would you recommend people starting their own support group to help themselves and others on their journey? Um, if you're starting a support group, um, I would really seek some advice from the BSA. Um, I was asked to, to start a support group about I see, 15 years ago, and at the time, you know, I was too busy. And then I had my daughter, who's now um, 14. So I started it when she was two. And it is hard, you know, when you're juggling work and you've got a teenager and you've got a toddler. Um, but yeah, the BSA were really good. They gave me advice about starting it up, about how to advertise it, about um, how to plan your meetings, how to structure it. Um, so I, I think the BSA is a good point. Um, but you have to bear in mind it's not just about having a chat and talking about um, you know what you've done for the weekend you have to be proactive you have to try and get funding like I've done to send people on courses to send them to conferences which we've done now for the last eight years we've been the BSA conferences the last four which is over an eight-year period as a group so we have taken 10 to 12 of us mm. you know to conferences that have been run by the BSA so it's good for them to see you know, over 100 people in a conference and to attend workshops. So, you know, from that perspective, if you're starting a, a support group, I would wholeheartedly say that it's the best thing that I've done. It's hard work sometimes, but it's so rewarding when you see people grow and you see people change and you see people get jobs, which they've never done before, mm. you know, because they've got the confidence now. Um, go to the support group they talk with other support group members and they make friends as well um and it's a really really good thing to do it's really rewarding to see that especially when they improve and they get jobs as, as i say as well out of it it's, it's really nice to see that and then if you're trying to sort of work on your own speech which you have to anyway you know, you can attend a support group, you can go to speech therapy, but ultimately you have to try and help yourself as well. Um, you can't rely on other people, especially speech therapists, because the speech therapist will give you homework and will tell you how to improve your speech, but you are the person ultimately who needs to, try and take control of their own speech and to improve themselves and the way you do that is just look at the first 10 scenarios you know words that you want to improve on situations maybe you want to be able to order you know something at either a restaurant or a takeaway and pick something that you want to eat actually and not what you can just say you know um and you need to practice on those areas you need to get out there and you need to do it and you need to push past the fear and you can only do that really by practice 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 i can't uh, you know reiterate that enough you have to do it on a daily basis and i still do um and that's the way you help yourself up. um 
I think, and read loads and loads of books about it. Self-help books. Um, you know, there's people that have been cameras um, and they've improved themselves and it's taken a 10-year journey and then they put it in a book and it takes you a couple of weeks to read and you may get inspiration from it. I've read a lot of books and some I've thought, nah, I've, I didn't like that. I didn't get anything out. And then other books, it, it's just been like, you know, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that. But there's a lot of books out there to help yourself. Um, and just read. And I think, you know, when I used to read a lot about stammering, it just used to make me feel so much better. Um, it was just a really, really interesting thing to do. Uh, and uh, um, I just used to improve all the time from reading. So, yeah, you need to read as well. And there's tapes out there. There's all sorts out there on the internet. And you have to choose because we all stammer in different ways. So you have to pick the things that's going to help you. And, um, you know, the only way to do that really is to read. And at our support group at the moment, we've got a book club because I've got loads of books. And people are using those books. There's self-help books. There's um, NLP books. Road. there's books loads on stammering so you know it's all about trying to do things to improve yourself all the time and it's not just about stammering in any walk of life you know um if you want to be um i don't know um you know um a scientist or a vet or anything like that as my daughter wants to be a vet and i've told her there's a lot of hard work involved and you need to study um and i think you can do anything if you put your mind to it and you work hard amazing thank you so much for your time Yinka. you're very welcome it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and you and you thank you for listening i hope you found it really helpful you may also like the backlist episodes and show notes at tutteringmind.com forward slash podcast. You can also get the seven steps to expressing yourself free guide at tutteringmind.com forward slash free guide. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. You can connect with me on all social media platforms. I'm looking for touching mine. Thank you again and look forward to connecting with you.